Keeping the commandments comes from a sense of love, not from force or obligation, a sense of responsibility or even duty. Keeping the commandments comes from a love of Christ. He said, if you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And this is completely contrary to the culture of the day where commandments and rules and decrees were enforced by obligation and force. Jesus shifts our primary motivation from one of fear to one of love, inviting us to live a love-shaped life. Hymns, ballads, happy and sad, so many songs, beautiful, moving, sappy, and cheesy, speak of love. Perhaps we all have our favorites. We all have um, ones that we secretly enjoy, even though they're cheesy. We have ones that we share with our loved ones as our song. And we know, especially in the Episcopal Church, that everyone has their favorite hymn, and many of them speak of divine love. But love is so much more than anything we try to break it or boil it down to, because love is everything. Love is the very essence of who we are, because love is the very essence of who God is. God breathed holy love to give us life in the beginning so that we could receive and offer that love, offer it as fundamental to who we are. That original love wraps all other loves together, giving life. In our gospel reading today, Jesus is speaking with his disciples. The scene is Monday, Thursday in Holy Week. It's the Holy Thursday, Commandment Thursday, the Last Supper. The commandment that Jesus gives them and gives all of us who would love him and who would be his disciple. The commandments are, love God above all else and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God above all else and love your neighbor as yourself. The first, in large part, is meant to give us courage. If we love God above all else, We can have the courage we need against bullies, against tyrants, and against our own worst instincts. And the second tells us how to be. If we love our neighbor as ourself, our truest, best selves will call us to act on behalf of others, which in the long run is actually on our behalf as well. It is better to suffer for doing good 
than to suffer for doing evil can also be understood as it is better to sacrifice in the name of good than sacrifice your very soul, your very essence, in the name of evil. This is a little corny, but someone once gave this example, an example of what it means to love or to share your essence of love, to share God's love with others. And it involves a rose, a lamp, and a tree. They said that the rose gives its fragrance not to just who's in their family or who they like or who they think is deserving. The rose gives its essence because that is what the rose is, a fragrant flower, sharing that fragrance with whoever walks by or whoever comes close. In the same way, the lamp, when lit, sheds its light, not discriminating against who has done what they said they would do or who has fulfilled their obligations, but shedding light on whoever walks by, because that is the essence, that is the nature of the light. Again, the tree gives shade, not just to its preferred friends, not just to the in crowd, not just to those who have something to give the tree, but the tree gives shade to all who need it. In like ways, if we love Jesus, if we try to love Christ, to love God, we will also share the essence of God who made us, share a bit of the original love that is in us, with each other, deserving or not, in crowd or not, good for us or not. Jesus' words are also part of what is known as the farewell discourse in the gospel according to John. He's giving a speech about what he will leave to his disciples when he is no longer with them bodily. And he promises an advocate. He promises that he will not leave them orphaned or abandoned. Jesus is going away. In fact, the next day, he will be hung and crucified on the cross, humiliated in front of all those walking by, going down the road to see. Jesus is going away, but he is not abandoning. Richard Rohr, a theologian, in his book, The Universal Christ, offered this insight. The divine mystery is not limited to the bodily presence of Jesus. Christ is everywhere. In him, every kind of life has meaning and has an influence 
on every other kind of life. This has been um, an intense emotional week for me because of life transitions. My oldest son turned 18 and is about to graduate from high school and go to college, and my youngest son is graduating from middle school and going to high school. And they're doing this in the middle of this pandemic, trying to figure out what the right thing to do is when they see people walking around without masks, or, you know, are we open, are we closed, can we see our friends, can we not? What's the best thing to do? And I was thinking about how different their experience has been and how in many ways I fear for them growing up. The shirt from Pershing Middle School for graduation has their mascot, the panda, with a mask on it. And it recognizes that these, this class came into middle school, one of the most difficult transition periods in your life, with Harvey, Hurricane Harvey, disrupting their whole world. And they're graduating with COVID, disrupting their whole universe. And I fear for these kids and for my child, I fear for what the world will do to them, what they have to face. But the love that God breathed into us, into all humanity, and the commandments that we have been given, ask me, not to fear, but to have courage, to have courage and to continue to love the best way we know how through all these trials and tribulations. My child is growing up in a world changing and it's scary. But even with hashtag Harvey who and hashtag COVID, get out of here, we are to encourage a sense of trust that God holds the future in his hands. Similarly, my older child, I learned, and I've told a few of you this, I learned that I was pregnant with him on the day of 9-11. So the kids graduating from high school this year all were born in that specter of 9-11 when the destruction of the Twin Towers and the loss of all those lives seemed as if it was the worst thing that could happen. And I remember then having to make a decision that it was worth bringing this life into the world with joy and faith, even when it was so scary. 
And now they're graduating, not knowing whether they're going back to college uh, or starting college in the fall. And for me, I have to let him go and grow. And I'm not saying that Jesus is a, a teenager, but the love we are called to show for Christ is a love that crosses distance and boundaries and realms, a love that shows courage, a love that shows trust, and a love that knows that the essence of God will prevail. We're all facing uncertain times, and the church is not immune to that. We are trying to figure out how and when to reopen and what our new mission will look like, even as the core of our mission stays the same. To love God above all else and love your neighbor as yourself. John's Gospel, this is my last point, was not written in an age of a, a simplistic life or a sweeter time when it was easier to love and trust. John's Gospel was written in an age of empire, when power was based on domination and coercion and force. Again, in sharp contrast to the power of love that Jesus teaches us still. Jesus invites us to live a life shaped by love, whose arms are truth, grace, and mercy. You could say a life whose superpower is forgiveness and speaking truth. I want you all this week to take a look at what's happening in the detention centers in our country. Illegal deportations of people who are positive with COVID. Conditions you would not allow your dog to live in. And find a way to speak truth in love about what is happening in our name, in our country. And in conclusion, as Dorothy Day once said, there is nothing we can do but love. And dear God, please enlarge our hearts to love each other, to love our neighbor, and to love our enemy as a friend. Amen. Hallelujah.